Chapter fifty two, part three of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty two. Louis the fifteenth, the ministry of Cardinal Fleury, seventeen twenty three to seventeen forty eight, part three. Meanwhile, France, as well as the majority of the other nations, had recognized the young Queen of Hungary. She had been proclaimed at Vienna on the 7th of November, 1740. All her father's states had sworn alliance and homage to her. She had consented to take to the Hungarians the old oath of King Andreas II, which had been constantly refused by the House of Habsburg. Quote, if I or any of my successors at any time whatsoever would infringe your privileges, be it permitted you, by virtue of this promise, you and your descendants to defend yourselves without being liable to be treated as rebels. When Frederick II, encamped in the midst of the conquered provinces, made a proposal to Maria Theresa to cede him Lower Silesia, to which his ancestors had always raised pretensions, assuring her in return of his amity and support, the young queen, deeply offended, replied haughtily that she defended her subjects, she did not sell them. At the same time, an Austrian army was advancing against the king of Prussia. It was commanded by Count Nyperg. The encounter took place at Molwitz, on the banks of the Neiss. For one instant Frederick, carried along by his routed cavalry, thought the battle was lost, and his first step towards glory an unlucky business. The infantry, formed by the aged Prince of Anhalt, and commanded by Marshal Schwerin, late comrade of Charles Twelfth, restored the fortune of battle. The Austrians had retired in disorder. Europe gave the King of Prussia credit for this first success, due especially to the excellent organization of his father's troops. Quote, Each battalion, says Frederick, was a walking battery, whose quickness in loading tripled their fire, which gave the Prussians the advantage of three to one. Meanwhile, in addition to the heritage of the House of Austria, thus attacked and encroached upon, there was the question of the empire. Two claimants appeared, Duke Francis of Lorraine, Maria Theresa's husband, whom she had appointed regent of her dominions, and the elector of Bavaria, grandson of Louis XIV's faithful ally, the only Catholic amongst the lay electors of the empire, who was only waiting for the signal from France to act in his turn against the Queen of Hungary. Cardinal Fleury's intentions remained as yet vague and secret. Naturally and stubbornly pacific as he was, he found himself bound by the confirmation of the pragmatic sanction lately renewed at the time of the Treaty of Vienna. The king affected indifference, quote, whom are you for making Emperor Souvray? he asked one of his courtiers. Quote, Faith, sir, answered the Marquis, I trouble myself very little about it, but if your Majesty pleased, you might tell us more about it than anybody. Quote, no, said the King, I shall have nothing to do with it. I shall look on from Montpagnat, or a post of observation out of cannon shot. Quote, ah, sir, replied Souvray, your majesty will be very cold there, and very ill-lodged. How so? said the king. Quote, Sir, replied Souvray, because your ancestors never had any house built there. Quote, A very pretty answer, adds the advocate Barbier, and as regards the question, 
nothing can be made of it because the king is mighty close a powerful intrigue was urging the king to war cardinal fleury prudent economizing timid as he was had taken a liking for a man of adventurous and sometimes chimerical spirit Quote, count belle-isle grandson of fouquet says m d'argenson had more wit than judgment and more fire than force but he aimed very high he dreamed of revising the map of europe and of forming a zone of small states destined to protect france against the designs of austria louis the fifteenth pretended to nothing demanded nothing for the price of his assistance but france had been united from time immemorial to bavaria she was bound to raise the elector to the imperial throne if it happened afterwards in the dismemberment of the austrian dominions that the low countries fell to the share of france it was the natural sequence of past conquests of flanders lorraine and the three bishoprics count belle-isle did not disturb with his dreams the calm of the aged cardinal he was modest in his military aspirations the french navy was ruined the king had hardly twenty vessels to send to sea that mattered little as england and holland took no part in the contest austria was not a maritime power spain joined with france to support the elector a body of forty thousand men was put under the orders of that prince who received the title of lieutenant-general of the armies of the king of france louis the fifteenth acted only in the capacity of bavaria's ally and auxiliary meanwhile marshal belle-isle the king's ambassador and the plenipotentiary in germany had just signed a treaty with frederick the second guaranteeing to that monarch lower silesia at the same time under the orders of marshal maillebois entered germany saxony and poland came into the coalition the king of england george the second faithful to the pragmatic sanction hurrying over to hanover to raise troops there found himself threatened by maillebois and signed a treaty of neutrality the elector had been proclaimed at linz archduke of austria nowhere did the franco-bavarian army encounter any obstacle the king of prussia was occupying moravia upper and lower austria had been conquered without a blow and by this time the forces of the enemy were threatening vienna the success of the invasion was like a dream but the elector had not the wit to profit by the good fortune which was offered him on the point of entering the capital abandoned by maria theresa he fell back and marched towards bohemia the gates of prague did not open like those of passau or of linz it had to be besieged the grand duke of tuscany was advancing to the relief of the town it was determined to deliver the assault count maurice of saxony natural son of the late king of poland the most able and ere long the most illustrious of the generals in the service of france had opposed the retrograde movement towards bohemia in front of prague he sent for chevert lieutenant-colonel of the regiment of Beauce, of humble origin but destined to rise by his courage and merit to the highest rank in the army the two officers made a reconnaissance the moment and the point of attack were chosen at the approach of night on the twenty fifth of november seventeen forty one chevert called up a grenadier quote, thou seest yonder sentry said he to the soldier quote, yes colonel quote, he will shout to thee who goes there quote, yes colonel quote, he will fire upon thee and miss thee quote, yes colonel quote, thou'lt kill him and i shall be at thy heels end quote. 
the grenadier salutes and mounts up to the assault the body of the sentry had scarcely begun to roll over the rampart when colonel chevert followed the soldier the eldest son of marshal brelie was behind him fifty men had escalated the wall before the alarm spread through the town a gate was soon burst to permit the entrance of count maurice with a body of cavalry next day the elector was crowned as king of bohemia on the thirteenth of january seventeen forty two he was proclaimed emperor under the name of charles the seventh a few weeks had sufficed to crown the success less time sufficed to undo it on flying from vienna maria theresa had sought refuge in hungary the assembly of the estates held a meeting at pressburg there she appeared dressed in mourning holding in her arms her son scarce six months old already she had known how to attach the magnates to her by the confidence she had shown them she held out to them her child quote, i am abandoned of my friends said she in latin a language still in use in hungary amongst the upper classes i am pursued by my enemies attacked by my relatives i have no hope but in your fidelity and courage we my son and i look to you for our safety the palatines scarcely gave the queen time to finish already the sabres were out of the sheaths and flashing above their heads count bathyany was the first to shout quote, moria mur pro rege nostro maria teresa the same shout was repeated everywhere maria teresa restraining her tears thanked her defenders with gesture and voice she was expecting a second child before long quote, i know not she wrote to her mother-in-law the duchess of lorraine if i shall have a town left to be confined in hungary rose like one man to protect her sovereign against the excess of her misfortunes the same spirit spread before long through the austrian provinces bodies of irregulars savage and cruel formed at all points attacking and massacring the french detachments they encountered and giving to the war a character of ferocity which displayed itself with special excess against bavaria count segur besieged in linz was obliged to capitulate on the twenty sixth of january and the day after the elector of bavaria had received the imperial crown at frankfurt february twelfth seventeen forty two the austrians under the orders of general kevenhulle obtained possession of munich which was given up to pillage jokes then began to fly about in paris at the expense of the emperor who had just been made after an interregnum of more than a year Quote, the thing in the world which it is perceived that one can most easily do without said voltaire is an emperor Quote, as paris is always crammed with a number of austrians in heart who are charmed at the sad events writes the advocate barbier they have put in the bastille some indiscreet individuals who said in open cafe that the emperor was john lackland and that a room would have to be fitted up for him at vincennes in point of fact he remains at frankfort and it would be very hard for him to go elsewhere in safety meanwhile england had renounced her neutrality the general feeling of the nation prevailed over the prudent and far-sighted ability of robert walpole he succumbed after his long ministry full of honours and riches the government had passed into warlike hands the women of society headed by the duchess of marlborough raised a subscription of one hundred thousand pounds which they offered unsuccessfully to the haughty maria theresa parliament voted more effectual aid and english diplomacy adroitly detached the king of sardinia 
from the allies whom success appeared to be abandoning. The King of Prussia had just gained at Czeslaw an important victory. Next day he was negotiating with the Queen of Hungary. On the 11th of June the treaty which abandoned Silesia to Frederick II was secretly concluded. When the signatures were exchanged at Berlin in the following month, the withdrawal of Prussia was everywhere known in Europe. Quote, this is the method introduced and accepted amongst the Allies, to separate and do a better stroke of business by being the first to make terms, writes M. d'Argenson on the 30th of June. It used not to be so. The English were the first to separate from the Great Alliance in 1711, and they derived great advantages from it. We followed this terrible example in 1735, and got Lorraine by it. Lastly, here is the King of Prussia, but under much more odious circumstances, since he leaves us in a terrible scrape, our armies in the middle of Germany beaten and famine-stricken, the emperor despoiled of his hereditary dominions and his estates likewise in danger. All is at the mercy of the maritime powers who have pushed things to the extremity we see, and we, France, who were alone capable of resisting such a torrent at this date, here be we exhausted, and not in a condition to check these rogueries and this power, even by uniting ourselves the most closely with Spain. Let be, let us meddle no more. It is the greatest service we can render at this date to our allies of Germany. Cardinal Fleury had not waited for confirmation of the King of Prussia's defection to seek likewise to negotiate. Marshal Belleisle had been entrusted with this business, and at the same time with a letter addressed to the Cardinal to Field Marshal Koenigsegg. The minister was old, timid, displeased, disquieted at the war which he had been surprised into. He made his excuses to the Austrian negotiator, and delivered his plenipotentiary into his hands at the very outset. Quote, Many people know, said he, how opposed I was to the resolutions we adopted, and that I was in some sort compelled to agree to them. Your Excellency is too well informed of all that passes not to divine who it was who set everything in motion, for deciding the King to enter into a league which was so contrary to my inclinations and to my principles." For sole answer, Maria Theresa had the Cardinal's letter published. At Utrecht, after the unparalleled disasters which were overwhelming the kingdom, and in spite of the concessions they had been ordered to offer, the tone of Louis XIV's plenipotentiaries was more dignified and prouder than that of the enfeebled old man who had so long governed France by dint of moderation, discretion, and patient inertness. The allies of France were disquieted and her foes emboldened. Marshal Belleisle, shut up in Prague, and Marshal Broglie, encamped near the town, remained isolated in a hostile country, hemmed in on all sides by a savage foe, maintaining order with difficulty within the fortress itself. Quote, Marshal Broglie is encamped under the guns of Prague, says Barbier's journal. His camp is spoken of as a masterpiece, as there is reason to be shy of the inhabitants, who are for the Queen of Hungary, a battery has been trained upon Prague, the garrison camps upon the ramparts, and Marshal Belleisle patrols every night. Marshal Maibois was at Dusseldorf, commissioned to observe the Hollanders and protect Westphalia. He received orders to join Marshals Broglie and Belleisle. It is the army of redemption for the captives, was the saying at Paris. At the same time that the Marshal was setting out for Prague, Cardinal Fleury sent him the following instructions. Quote, 
engage in no battle of which the issue may be doubtful. All the defiles of Bohemia were carefully guarded. Maillebois first retired on Egra, then he carried his arms into Bavaria, where Marshal Broglie came to relieve him of his command. Marshal Belle-Isle remained with the sole charge of the defence of Prague. He was frequently harassed by the Austrians. His troops were exhausted with cold and privation. During the night between the 16th and 17th of December, 1742, the marshal sallied from the town, quote, I stole a march of twenty-four hours good on Prince Lobkowitz, who was only five leagues from me, wrote Belle-Isle, on accomplishing his retreat. I pierced his quarters, and I traversed ten leagues of plain, having to plod along with eleven thousand foot and three thousand two hundred and fifty worn-out horses, M. de Lobkowitz having eight thousand good horses and twelve thousand infantry. I made such dispatch that I arrived at the defiles before he could come up with me. I concealed from him the road I had resolved to take, for he had ordered the occupation of all the defiles and the destruction of all the bridges there are on the two main roads leading from Prague to Egra. I took one which pierces between the two others, where I found no obstacles but those of nature, and at last I arrived on the tenth day, without a check, though continually harassed by hussars in front, rear, and flank." The hospitals at Egra were choke-full of sick soldiers. Twelve nights passed on the snow without blankets or cloaks had cost the lives of many men. A great number never recovered more than a lingering existence. Amongst them there was, in the king's regiment of infantry, a young officer, M. de Vauvenargues, who expired at thirty-two years of age, soon after his return to his country, leaving amongst those who had known him a feeling that a great loss had been suffered by France and human intellect. Chevert still occupied Prague, with six thousand sick or wounded. The Prince of Lorraine had invested the place and summoned it to surrender at discretion. Quote, Tell your general, replied Chevert to the Austrians sent to Parley, that if he will not grant me the honours of war, I will fire the four corners of Prague and bury myself under its ruins. He obtained what he asked for and went to rejoin Marshal Belle-Isle at Egra. People compared the retreat from Prague to the retreat of the Ten Thousand, but the truth came out for all the fictions of flattery and national pride. A hundred thousand Frenchmen had entered Germany at the outset of the war. At the commencement of the year 1743, thirty-five thousand soldiers, mustered in Bavaria, were nearly all that remained to withstand the increasing efforts of the Austrians. Marshal Belle-Isle was coldly received at Paris. Quote, he is much inconvenienced by a sciatica, writes the advocate Barbier, and cannot walk but with the assistance of two men. He comes back with grand decorations, prince of the empire, knight of the golden fleece, blue-ribboned, marshal of France and duke. He is held accountable, however, for all the misfortunes that have happened to us. It was spread about at Paris that he was disgraced and even exiled to his estate at Vernon, near Gisors. It is true, nevertheless, that he has several times done business with the king, whether in M. Amelot's presence on foreign affairs or M. d'Aguesseau's on military, but this restless and ambitious spirit is feared by the ministers." Almost at the very moment when the Austrians were occupying Prague and Bohemia, Cardinal Fleury was expiring at Versailles at the age of ninety. 
Madame Marshal Noailles, mother of the present Marshal, who is at least eighty-seven, but is all alive, runs about Paris and writes all day, sent to inquire after him. He sent answer to her, quote, that she was cleverer than he, she managed to live. As for him, he was ceasing to exist. In fact, it is the case of a candle going out, and being a long while about it. Many people are awaiting this result, and all the court will be starting at his very ghost a week after he has been buried. Journal de Barbier, page 348. Cardinal Fleury had lived too long. The trials of the last years of his life had been beyond the bodily and mental strength of an old man elevated for the first time to power at an age when it is generally seen slipping from the hands of the most energetic. Naturally gentle, moderate, discreet, though stubborn and persevering in his views, he had not an idea of conceiving and practising a great policy. France was indebted to him for a long period of mediocre and dull prosperity, which was preferable to the evils that had for so long oppressed her, but as for which she was to cherish no remembrance and no gratitude when new misfortunes came bursting upon her. Both court and nation hurled the same reproach at Cardinal Fleury. He alone prevented the king from governing, and turned his attention from affairs partly from jealousy and partly from the old habit acquired as a preceptor, who can never see a man in one who has been his pupil. When the old man died at last, as M. d'Argenson cruelly puts it, France turned her eyes towards Louis XV. The cardinal is dead. Hurrah for the king, was the cry amongst the people. The monarch himself felt as if he were emancipated. Quote, Gentlemen, here am I, premier minister, said he to his most intimate courtiers. Quote, when Messieurs de Maurepas and Amelot went to announce to him this death, it is said that he was at first overcome, and that when he had recovered himself, he told them that hitherto he had availed himself of Cardinal Fleury's counsels, but he relied upon it that they would so act that they would not need to place any one between them and him. If this answer is faithfully reported, adds the advocate Barbier, it is sufficiently in the high style to let it be understood that there will be no more any premier minister, or at any rate anybody exercising the functions thereof. For some time previously, in view of the great age and rapid enfeeblement of Cardinal Fleury, Marshal Noailles, ever able and far-sighted, had been pressing Louis XV to take into his own hands the direction of his affairs. Having the command on the frontier of the Low Countries, he had adopted the practice of writing directly to the king, quote, "'Until it may please your majesty to let me know your intentions and your will,' said the marshal at the outset of his correspondence, "'confining myself solely to what relates to the frontier on which you have given me the command,' I shall speak with frankness and freedom about the object confided to my care, and shall hold my peace as regards the rest. If you, sir, desire the silence to be broken, it is for you to order it." For the first time, Louis XV seemed to awake from the midst of that life of intellectual lethargy and physical activity which he allowed to glide along, without a thought, between the pleasures of the chase and the amusements invented by his favourite. A remembrance of Louis the Fourteenth came across his mind, naturally acute and judicious as it was. Quote, 
the late king my great-grandfather he writes to marshal noailles on the twenty sixth of november seventeen forty three whom i desire to imitate as much as i can recommended to me on his deathbed to take counsel in all things and to seek out the best so as always to follow it i shall be charmed then if you will give me some thus do i open your mouth as the pope does the cardinals and i permit you to say to me what your zeal and your affection for me and my kingdom prompt you the first fruit of this correspondence was the entrance of marshal noailles into the council quote, one day as he was in the capacity of simple courtier escorting the king who was on his way to the council his majesty said to him marshal come in we are going to hold a council and pointed to a place at his left cardinal tonsin being on his right this new minister does not please our secretaries of state he is a troublesome inspector set over them who meddles in everything though master of nothing the renewal of active hostilities was about to deliver the ministers from marshal noailles the prudent hesitation and backwardness of holland had at last yielded to the pressure of england the states-general had sent twenty thousand men to join the army which george the second had just sent into germany it was only on the fifteenth of march seventeen forty four that louis the fifteenth formally declared war against the king of england and maria theresa no longer as an auxiliary of the emperor but in his own name and on behalf of france charles the seventh a fugitive driven from his hereditary dominions which had been evacuated by marshal broglie had transported to frankfort his ill fortune and his empty titles france alone supported in germany a quarrel the weight of which she had imprudently taken upon herself the effort was too much for the resources the king's councillors felt that it was the battle of dettingen skilfully commenced on the twenty seventh of june seventeen forty three by marshal noailles and lost by the imprudence of his nephew the duke of gramont had completely shaken the confidence of the armies the emperor had treated with the austrians for an armistice establishing the neutrality of his troops as belonging to the empire noailles wrote to the king on the eighth of july quote, it is necessary to uphold this phantom in order to restrain germany which would league against us and furnish the english with all the troops therein the moment the emperor was abandoned it was necessary at the same time to look out elsewhere for more effectual support the king of prussia had been resting for the last two years a curious and an interested spectator of the contests which were bathing europe in blood and which answered his purpose by enfeebling his rivals he frankly and coolly flaunted his selfishness quote, in a previous war with france he says in his memoirs i abandoned the french at prague because i gained silesia by that step if i had escorted them to vienna they would never have given me so much in turn the successes of the queen of hungary were beginning to disquiet him on the fifth of june seventeen forty four he signed a new treaty with france for the first time louis the fifteenth was about to quit versailles and place himself at the head of an army quote, if my country is to be devoured said the king with a levity far different from the solemn tone of louis the fourteenth it will be very hard on me to see it swallowed without personally doing my best to prevent it 
he had however hesitated a long while before he started there was a shortness of money for all his having been head of the council of finance noailles had not been able to rid himself of ideas of arbitrary power Quote, when the late king your great-grandfather considered any outlay necessary he wrote to louis the fifteenth the funds had to be found because it was his will the case in question is one in which your majesty ought to speak as master and lay down the law to your ministers your controller-general ought for the future to be obliged to furnish the needful funds without daring to ask the reasons for which they are demanded of him and still less to decide upon them it was thus that the late king behaved towards m colbert and all who succeeded him in that office he would never have done anything great in the whole course of his reign if he had behaved otherwise it was the king's common sense which replied to this counsel we are still paying all those debts that the late king incurred for extraordinary occasions fifty millions a year and more which you must begin by paying off first of all later on he adds gaily as for me i can do without any equipage and if needful the shoulder of mutton of the lieutenants of infantry will do perfectly well for me Quote, there is nothing talked of here but the doings of the king who is in extraordinary spirits writes the advocate barbier he has visited the places near valenciennes the magazines the hospitals he has tasted the broth of the sick and the soldiers bread the ambassador of holland came before his departure to propose a truce in order to put us off yet longer the king when he was presented merely said i know what you are going to say to me and what it is all about i will give you my answer in flanders this answer is a proud one and fit for a king of france the hopes of the nation were aroused quote, have we then a king said m d'argenson credit was given to the duchess of chateroux louis the fifteenth's new favourite for having excited this warlike ardour in the king ypres and manin had already surrendered after a few days open trenches siege had just been laid to furnes marshal noailles had proposed to move up the king's household troops in order to make an impression upon the enemy Quote, if they must needs be marched up replied louis the fifteenth i do not wish to separate from my household verbum sap the news which arrived from the army of italy was equally encouraging the prince of conde seconded by chevert had forced the passage of the alps quote, there will come some occasion when we shall do as well as the french have done wrote count camposanto who under don philip commanded the spanish detachment it is impossible to do better madame de chateroux had just arrived at lille there were already complaints in the army of the frequent absence of the king on his visits to her when alarming news came to cause forgetfulness of court intrigues and dissatisfaction the austrians had effected the passage of the rhine by surprise near philipsburg elsace was invaded marshal craigny who was under orders to defend it had been enticed in the direction of worms by false moves on the part of prince charles of lorraine and had found great difficulty in recrossing the frontier Quote, here we are on the eve of a great crisis writes louis the fifteenth on the seventh of july it was at once decided that the king must move on alsace 
to defend his threatened provinces. The king of Prussia promised to enter Bohemia immediately with twenty thousand men, as the diversion was sure to be useful to France. Louis XV had already arrived at Metz, and Marshal Noailles pushed forward in order to unite all the corps. On the 8th of August the king awoke in pain, prostrated by a violent headache. A few days later all France was in consternation. The king was said to have been given over. End of chapter 52, part 3